Okay, this is Moses Allison, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andros Jones. Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio, tempting fate. Put a question to the song, let's randomly select it without of our friend synchronicity. Welcome to the Radio 8-Ball Show. Welcome back to Radio 8-Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and for seven, count them, seven musical divinations, we have been hanging out at the Monkey House in Berkeley, California with our musical guest, singer-songwriter, Ira Marlowe. Hey there. Hey there, Ira. (laughs) How you doing? I'm doing just fine. This is, uh, as I say... To everyone who does this show after they do it, this isn't an easy show to do. It takes a lot of energy. Thank you for just hanging through it and offering up your space, putting up with me and my uh, my uh, my producer, who in this case is me, and uh, and the crazy host and his machinations and everything. But it's just I've I always love hanging out with your music. It is a pleasure for me as well. So now it's time to answer your question. And for all you paper fetishists, gather around. As we unveil the question. Written before the show. Oh, and I sh- we should tell you, we know what the answer is. What's the answer? The answer is Schlitz. Schlitz. <laughs> it's the answer to many things. <clears throat> so the Schlitz is going to be the answer to the question from Ira Marlowe. Which goes as follows. Should I put my energy into the musical I'm writing or into my idea for a live band? Should I put my energy into the musical I'm writing or into my idea for a live band? And now the answer, Schlitz. I don't know, but I used to hear A man's as good as his favorite beer My favorite beer Was Schlitz Was a beer that made Milwaukee famous When you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer Reach for all the gusto you can find You only go around once in life And I had a friend when I was 15 with a mustache for a fake ID One weekend at Atlantic City with his folks The boardwalk was shining bright As we set out that summer night With a quarter schlitz between us and our hopes And he met a girl and they made out On somebody's porch while I kept a lookout Learning all I could from across the street With a headache and a bottle at my feet And we snuck home as the sun came up And I didn't feel great but I didn't throw up And either way I knew that they were right You only go around once in life 
Just a few, you made your choice and then you knew, and somehow that was comforting somehow. Schlitz was a beer that made Milwaukee famous. You had to reach for all the gusto you could grab. But I'm still reaching, cause they probably were right. You only go round once in life. You only go round once in life. This was a beer that made Milwaukee famous. And that was Schlitz from Ira Marlowe, the answer to his question. Should I put my energy into the musical I'm writing or into my idea for a live band? Well, I have a pretty clear idea of what I think the I would answer be is. Delighted to hear what the hell that is. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, I'm going to tell you what my what my thoughts are, but then I do want to hear about the background of that song. Sure. So to me, it's very clear that the live band is the way to go. First of all, because live bands involve more, there's more drinking and more revelry in the experience of being in a live band. I also thought about what you were saying about touring and that made me think, oh, well, that's how Ira could end up on the road again, is, tour- mm-hmm. is, is touring with a live band or not again, I you could end up on the road. Although I always think of it as again, because one of that, you have that song about getting in the van and Mm -hmm. going West. Yeah. And going West. And and that, and so it always feels like that. That's a kind of a tour. I know it's not what we're thinking of as touring, but then tour with no gigs. Yeah. (laughs) But then there's also just that idea of you only go around once in life. And from that standpoint, having had a band that toured, in a in the in the most futile way possible, mm-hmm. short of not having any gigs, but with gigs <laughs> and being futile, those are some of the most glorious sure. memories of my life. Sure, being on the road with a bunch of musicians—it doesn't have to be on the road. Being in a room, being in a practice studio, having that kind of intimacy. Those moments—they may not amount to anything in the world. Like a a, a great musical could last long after you're you're gone and be performed by other people but for you the experience of just being in a band and playing and making moments happen for yourselves and maybe other people gas on them but you're gassing on them with artists that you care about and are excited about i'm i'm curious to hear what your idea for the live band is but uh but yeah so that was the uh, that was what i got and then the only other piece of it was i there was a great band from olympia that was called, they called themselves the Schlitz without the L. So <laughs> it was the shit. They were the shits, but they couldn't say the shit. So whenever they were on it the It was radio, called Schlitz without the L? The Schlitz That's without the L. That's what they would L. say to describe yeah. it. Yeah. yeah there's, there was a band in San Francisco. Yeah. I think they were a cover band, but sort of got very popular called Shitty Shitty Band Band. <laughs> Shitty, shitty band band. And I remember they, they were announced on the radio and says, and also headlining will be uh, this band that their name sounds like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. You know? So, so now <clears throat> tell us, uh, for, uh, so I have a couple things. First of all, uh, can you tell us 
about the musical, tell us about the band, and tell us about the background of that song in whatever order makes the most sense for you. Let's start with the song. Um, there's a guy named Tony Duchesne who, I guess around 2010, somehow heard my music and he was writing for the San Francisco Chronicle and he wrote this uh, just glowing review. And it's just like, oh my God, where did you find me and how did this happen? And then he wrote another one and I, I still have them in my little list of, you know, whatever you call it, pull sheet or whatever, blurbs. But he also had this radio show. And Tony, by the way, has since gone on. He wrote a novel, an autobiographical, semi, semi-autobiographical novel called I Was at Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk, which has since been made into an HBO-sponsored uh, film, feature-length film that he wrote. And he lives in L.A. now. Um, but he had this radio show, this is around 2010, called Drinks with Tony. He invited me on the air. And I talked to him for a little bit, and then he played something from one of my CDs, so we're off the air. And I said, so is that just the name of the show, or are there drinks? And he pulls out this knapsack, and from the knapsack, he pulls out a six-pack of Long Neck Miller High Lifes, which I literally had not drunk in like 20, 30 years. You know, I'm, I am kind of a beer snob, but certainly that just, you know. But anyway, and... It just made me think of those sort of formative early beer experiences. And the next thing I knew, the next morning, I had written this song based pretty much on a true story about going to Atlantic City, you know, with a couple friends of mine, you know, stay with their parents for the weekend where they had a house or rented a house and uh, drinking beer and chasing after girls and, you know, and all that and sort of how it looks from this point in time, you know. And from, well, honestly, from this particular point in time where we're at right now, beer drinking beers and chasing girls does not <laughs> does not have a particularly positive cultural resonance. Well, there 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 are ways. You to were chase. not cavanaughing your way around this. N- neither was my community. friend. Even I was. Right. I was. You know, I made up the part about being across the street watching, yeah. but it was practically right. it's kind of the story of my whole adolescence. Right. You know, right? Listening from the other room. You know, right. So, uh, so that's the origin of this song, right? So, you set up this dichotomy between right. the musical and the band, and there's no reason they can't both happen. The musical, talking about synchronicity, and I, I believe in these various oracular things. Um, and <clears throat> I wrote three songs for the San Francisco Mime Troupe, like 2014, 15, 16. Did not do it the following year. I tried to be just the lyricist and I have to go into the city all the time. That wasn't working. So I sort of handed it off. Then they came back to me and asked me if I'd write the show this past year. And um, I agreed to do it. And I had some reservations. I have some reservations about their process. over. They just never have a script. And it's just really hard to write songs for a musical when they're still struggling to write the script literally a week before opening. You know, it's just a crazy process that yeah. I'm, I'm, I've told them I'm, I'm not going to do it again unless there's a script. But what I did was I went to my dartboard and I said, okay, you know, tell me about this Mime Troop show, you know. Threw one dart, got a bullseye. Okay. So all, the whole time, and it wound up being one of the most harrowing Mime Troop experiences ever as far as interpersonal conflict and things like that. And... So what am I supposed to get from this? What does that What does that bullseye mean? What does that bullseye mean? And finally, I came out of the whole thing and said, it means I've got to write my own damn musical, and this is the kick in the pants to do it, mm-hmm. you know, to write the songs and the story. And I realized that I'm, you know, I have about three quarters of the way through the first draft and, and struggling with the second act, but I've deliberately 
conceived it for this stage, for a 6 by 12 stage with almost no props. And the idea is to, I have the perfect environment to write a musical that's made for that environment. Mm-hmm. The idea is I do it here, workshop it here, and then have a chance to take it somewhere else, you know, once there's interest and, in, you know, build an audience or whatever. So that's the one idea, which I am very excited about. The other idea, I'm hesitant to say that much about it, except that it involves me in disguise. It basically involves me wearing something. First, it was going to be a, a, a black silk stocking, you know, like like bank robbers wear. Which it's, but then I discovered that instead of that, if you do the, the dark part, not the leg part, but the midriff part, okay, that I can still see perfectly. But it's not the weird grotesque thing. It's just this black thing. So to basically become this character in this suit that matches, I've got this other guitar, this color I just bought specifically. It's to like be this. we're looking at a teal guitar. Right. It's seafoam green is the parlance. Seafoam green. Um, with a matching suit, just this illustrious character. And then to put together this band, I've talked to the people, which I'm going in the studio with Paul Ravelli, this amazing drummer. And the idea is to enlist him to be the drummer. And these two women I know who played in a band together. And I wanted one plays, she's an amazing singer, plays violin, plays ukulele, plays guitar, plays That's accordion. Ukulele, plays accor- ukulele, plays yeah. accordion. The other one who had just played a recent, I know she just plays accordion, also amazing singer. And I just thought, if I put this band together, you know, um, this is going to be something, that, you know, and then basically gamble a bunch of money and savings and stuff like that on publicists, you know, and, and making basically what I told them initially when I told them is I, I'm going to hire you to play on two songs and then make a video. And we're going to make two videos for two specific songs with this character. The and, guy and in the black band. mask. Right. Who, who, and either, I don't, I haven't decided whether he is Gulliver or the band is called Gulliver, but that's been the name I've had in the back of my mind for years. And it's one of these things where it's something I was talked to. I had the same idea, not with the costume on his face, but the idea of changing myself completely and becoming this Gulliver figure mm-hmm. years ago. And was talked out of, out of it by all my practical friends. And I've come to realize all my practical friends tried to talk me out of this idea, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm, Dan Byrne, who you know very well, he's got that song about his about his sister, mm-hmm. you know. And the main thing is trust yourself. Trust yourself. That's the main right. advice, you know. And so both this and the musical are acts of, you know, I intend to direct the musical. I'm going to co-direct it with one of the actors. But it's like, I know where the jokes are. I know how this is supposed to be said to be funny. And if I give it to you to do it, I'm not going to be happy with it, you know. Right. I am an auteur and I insist on being this, you know. Right. So... So I don't really know. Um, there's a line toward the end of it where it says, um, "It only goes, I, I'm, I'm still going, or I'm still something," because because they probably were right. I'm still something. You made your choice, and then you knew, and somehow that was comforting. Somehow, you had to reach for all the gusto you. That's could what grab. it is. I'm still reaching, and I, oh, they well, probably, I'm, I'm still reaching because they probably were right. Right. So in a way, that, re- that suggests the band, because I've certainly put a lot more into that over time. Mm-hmm. You know than the other but i've always it's what has always sort of plagued me is this sort of notion i should be able to write a musical and, I, and i've always sort of stumbled the truth is i have a couple but I've, they've never and i wrote songs for all the mime troop productions and i wrote right. an animated Did you ever hear the no 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 name monsters thing the yeah. kids thing yeah you know i wrote that you that know, was great but, so i don't know i don't have a definitive answer and and i think perhaps the answer is you don't have to do both you know i mean you don't have to pick one or the you other. don't have to pick one or the other now I'm, i want to ask you have you did you ever see the movie frank 
Tell me about it. I don't it's think a, so. It's a movie. If you'd seen it, you'd remember it. Okay. It's a, a movie. The director, Lenny Abrahamson, who, was, who made the film Room, that uh-huh. won in the Academy Award, or won, the actress for it won mm. the Academy Award. Uh, yeah. But it's a film based upon a true story about this artist named... I'm trying to look it up. Uh, anyway, it's, a, it's one of the best films I've seen about a band. And the reason it made me think about it is because the, the lead singer in the band wears a mask the whole time. Uh-huh. He's played by Michael Fassbender. And it's, it's a fictionalized story that's mostly ins- inspired by an artist named Frank Sidebottom, who was the comic persona of an artist named Chris Seavey. But it also is influenced by Daniel Johnston and Captain Beefheart. Mm-hmm. And so it's just about this weirdo artist who puts together a band where he wears a mask mm-hmm. the whole time. And as we were talking about before, mm-hmm. I have a, I'm very critical of rock and roll movies because they're usually about success. Well, the, my joke about them is, you know, in the course of showing how hard it is, they actually make things so much easier than they really are. You know, right. This, this struggling man always has like an amazing rehearsal space and all this gear right. and these great costumes and they find a manager right away and it's just, you know. Yeah, and they go out to a show and there's they never you never see a show where people are talking through their gig. Exactly. Or, so, and this film, I felt like really captured the reality, some of the reality of being in a mm-hmm. band and the futility and the <laughs> interdynamic, the, the interband dynamics. And, and yeah, and so it, I just, that, that was the imagine, the original touchstone that I thought mm-hmm. when you mentioned right. having a band with, well, well with part, your, part of my mask. motivation is just, I just, I'm horrified every time I see myself on video and it would just free me. I just feel like I'd be so much freer on stage as a performer. You oh, know? well, I, you and, know, to go crazy and just be, you know, just it almost this, feels this like well, both of them are mu- you're yeah actually you're ta- both of them are musicals. Yeah. You're talking about way, two yeah. different musicals. You're in talking way, about yeah. one in which you're the star. <clears throat> right. And one in which you're the director and the writer. Right. Oh, that could possibly act in this you one. Could, I would I would only take a small role if I were to do it at this right. point. Right. So I so in terms of that with this song, do you feel like this song speaks to the performer in you or the Man behind the curtain. I th- I think it speaks more to the man behind the curtain in the sense that the other guy is making out and I'm sitting across the street watching, learning all I could. Right. It sounds much more like a writer director than the performer. <laughs> so there is, yeah. So there's something there, and you know, it, it it's as much as there's the the myth that uh, playing a playing in a band is all about drinking beer and playing music. It's much harder to be good drinking as a uh, as the performer than it is as the director and writer. <laughs> once you've done, once you've done all the work, you kind of actually can just sit in the back and drink your beer and watch the actors th- do yeah. their thing. Well, another thing too is, you know, the idea of being in a band and all that. I hate to say, but some of that stuff is kind of age specific, you know? I mean, even with the, if these people I have in mind, I'm sure working together, we would develop a rapport and have some fun together, but I would be paying them, you know? And at this point, the, 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 you know, the, the trying to recreate the camaraderie of young bands when they're all still believing in their dreams, they're all unformed and they grow together into something. Yeah. It's too late for that, I think, you know, which isn't to say fun won't, can't and won't be had. But, you know, to, I mean, that's the whole thing about the song Going West. It's like that was a once in a lifetime thing. You can, you can take that trip again, but it's not going to be like it was when you were 20. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, uh, I guess by the time this comes out in February, 
some of these decisions, some of, we'll, we'll know something about We will this. know a little more, yeah. Yeah. At least I'll have a completed first draft, thank you. Right, <laughs> right. And we haven't talked, before I let you go, we haven't talked about, we've mentioned it a bunch, because most everyone who's been a guest on the show has mentioned the Monkey House. Mm-hmm. I've talked about how we're recording this at the Monkey House. And when Erica came in, she's like, this is such a cool space. And you didn't hear this when you, maybe because you were out in the other room doing something. But I was like, leave it to a performer to make the best performance spaces because we know what doesn't work like too big is not good jim brunberg when he created mississippi studios mm-hmm. who's he's another mutual friend of ours sure. he i used to say the same thing about that i don't i'm not a big fan of the new mississippi Studios. success makes things big and then they, they lose, lose what some of what they're doing. They yeah. had, which was really nice. Similar thing happened with Largo in Los Angeles. I still love the new Largo, but the old Largo had this intimacy. And this place, the Monkey House, has that. That right. sense of, like, every seat in the house is a great seat. There's no room for someone. There's no bar in the middle of it for people to be yip-yapping yep. in the middle. of It's the this, everything in the room is built to inspire great listening right. and to That's inspire true. a good experience. <clears throat> if the musician's having a great experience, then the audience is having a great experience and it creates that feedback loop. Yeah. And then you do all this stuff like you are habit so that you can record, you do all these things to make your life miserable by making it better for the artists. Like, <laughs> oh, now I'm not just the promoter, but I'm also the recording engineer and I'm all these things. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but I really want you to have a moment to tell, like, so that's my appreciation of this space. But can you tell us a little bit about the Monkey House, its history, for people who are come who are looking to book them, who are listening to this, like, how can I play this place? Yeah. We're always looking for new acts. We're lately moving more and more, not really by design, but as as it has flowed, doing more and more theater here. And we love doing, you know, small theater, um, one man, one person shows, multi-person shows, and comedy and storytelling. But I'm a singer-songwriter, so those are the people I know. So for the six years of our existence, it's been predominantly music and predominantly singer-songwriters. And yeah, the idea was, as you said, to create an ideal place to play, you know, which not only was a listening room, but also, you know, had a stage, had lights, had a good PA, had good acoustics, had, you know, I just, we all know we have sort of peak experiences as a performer. A lot of, the, a lot of that, it depends on everything being right. Because one, I hate to say, I mean, it's sort of a, it's a, truth. a, it's a zen Discipline. I'm trying to develop that, you know, one thing that's sometimes not right is someone will come in the front door mid-song, you know, which usually people are here for the show at the beginning of the show, and that doesn't happen too much. But when I'm on stage and it does that, it's hard not to lose a little bit of my mojo. I get yep. distracted. You know, and I do think it's a good discipline as a performer to just be able to maintain your mojo. But that said... I really, you know, we do sound checks and I just say, you know, how's it sound? Anything you need? Is there everything loud enough? Is your guitar loud enough? You know, you just want people to just feel great and sound great and do a great show, you know. And uh, and by and large, people do and they're really happy and uh, and it works out. The, the, my biggest disappointment about this place is just the nature of the music scene today in today's fragmented world where everybody's staring at their phone, where everybody has a thousand potential entertainments coming at them all day long. I define a music scene as a town or at least a club that regardless of who's playing, people can go and know that something's going to be happening and that's going to be good, mm-hmm. you know. And even though it's a listening room, it's still a social experience. And my hope has been and still continues to be that the people on our mailing list will 
come to shows. And I tell them, you have the monkey house guarantee. I've got these little things in the front called monkey money. And if you come to a show and you tell me, I was, uh, you know, that wasn't that great, I'll give you a pass to come to another show. Just keep coming to hear people you don't know mm-hmm. and find people you love and then come to hear them again. You know, and then, you know, and it's happening, but it's happening far more slowly than I'd hope. For the most part, people come and support their friends and they come and support acts they know. Yeah. You know, and they, they're happy they're here and they like the room. But as far as a way of sort of gestating new interest and new fans for people, it's tough going. Yeah. Well, I, there's there's two things that brings up for me. One is just a, a belief that I have. And it probably comes out of being a musician, but also it comes out of doing Radio 8 Ball, is that to, I feel like at this point, listening is the the greater art than performing. Everyone is out there performing, whether it's on social media or being able to put out their own record or make their own movie. Like, it's a great thing where you live in this amazing time where the resources are there so you don't need a record label. You don't need a film company. You don't need a publisher. You don't need any of these people to or these uh, you know resources to be able to express yourself and right. put yourself out there. But I do feel like there are... Finding a brilliant performer is way uh, there. There are way more brilliant performers than there are brilliant listeners. And one of the things that I'm trying to cultivate with Radio Eight Ball, I one of the re- it's sort of in a similar way that you try and create a space where people where it inspires listening, inspires great listening. My thing is if maybe if I can get people to personalize the question and not listen to the artist out of support for the artist, but because I want to get something right. I that's, like yeah, that's I'm trying to figure out something that one someone's trying to figure out something and they're listening selfishly, they're gonna shut up. <laughs> that's all this is the that's my only goal. Like, <laughs> not that they have a great experience, that's nice, but if they are so engaged that their mouth stops Stops, right. their ears open, open. up yeah, that's and they are focused for whatever reason. Yeah, no, that's then that's my goal is to create listening. And I think that that's so I think that so that's just sort of my saying this. The question I have for you is having done that, how having created a, a terrarium for musicians like that, that is a, a really rich ecosystem and as you said, there are, you still have your frustrations, but are there acts over the six years that you've done this that you've seen come in here and go from being like an artist who might not have found an audience if they hadn't found this place that are now at another level in their performing yeah, career? Yeah, I mean, Three Drink Circus, you know, that uh, Eric, you know, plays with. I won't say they're playing the Fillmore now. But I've seen them evolve tremendously, and I've seen their following evolve tremendously. I mean, they were doing bills with two or three other acts before, you know, and now they can do their own show and pack the place. Joe Rutt and Danny Allen are playing here in a couple weeks, both of whom are phenomenal songwriters, great singers, great, you know, and and really original. You know, just, I mean, they're, to me, that's the first thing I look for is someone, you know, the people are great at what they're doing, but what they're doing has been done quite a bit already in my eyes, you know. And both those guys have their own voice, and they're, and they're really polished and accomplished. Um, I don't want to neglect anybody else. Let me look at the calendar. And Jenna Canody, who you'll, I guess you'll hear some of her music at the end of the show, yeah. is another just total original. You know, she is a very sort of psychically attuned person who just hears stuff from somewhere else and delivers it. 
And her music has all these unusual intervals and chord changes that are unmistakably her, you know, that just leave me, you know, I, I feel, she's one of those artists I feel kind of pedestrian next to when, when I when share a bill with her because her stuff is so weirdly inspired, you know, at the best. Do you enjoy that feeling? of being... Not at all. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, you know, I don't. It makes me want to pull out my least conventional stuff because I have plenty of weird stuff. I can say, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know. But, I mean, a song like If We Were In Love I just played, I mean, I could hear some country guy singing that very easily, some very mainstream, you know, or Celine Dion or something like that, you know. And, uh, and frankly, I would be happy to cash their checks, but I, I know there's a very well-known songwriter whose name I will not mention who's played here a few times, the only reason I don't mention it is that I get the feeling he's sort of talking about himself when he says the only thing worse than never having a hit, you know, having his, is having hit songs you're embarrassed by. Yeah. You know? And so, frankly, I'd love for Celine Dion to cover my song, but only if I get a chance to do the other end of my catalog that's, you know, at least for someone to know that that's there and I don't just, you know, write. And it's not shock, but it's it's not, it only covers a small part of what interests me and what I like to do, you know, so I, don't, I would not like want to be represented by just that. Right. No, no, I, you know? I totally, I mean, it's not that I've had that experience. I mean, I guess as an actor, I've kind of had that experience. I've, you know, I was... Listeners to the show know I was a nightmare on Elm Street, and it's the least my least favorite thing to talk about because it's the thing I get asked about the most. Right. Also, I mean, it's different because it's not really mine. Right. Like if I had written had one hit song, it would be a different thing. But I can st still appreciate that uh, that difficulty of having to trot out your hit over and over again, especially if it's something that it doesn't still move you. Well, I will just say that. Um Somebody from a very famous band, but sort of a, a band that was very famous a long time ago. And when I heard he was, he's in some other band now that played here. So obviously, you know, taking a bit of a tumble since those times. <laughs> Don't and sell your club short, man. I wasn't sure whether I should bring it up with him even, you know, because I thought maybe he might, you know. And I come in and he's wearing the T-shirt. And he completely owns it as like the high point of his life that he's he's ready to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And... uh and what's hilarious is that uh, fortunately he was not hurt at all, but he fell off the stage. He fell backward off the stage mid-show in classic fashion. And he was, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I was relaxed. It's all about how you're being relaxed, you know, it's fine, it's great. No, no harm, no foul. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, so, this, so this guy, so a member of Spinal Tap was playing in the band, <laughs> playing here. Okay, well, I, I got you know what I I don't want to I don't want to wrap this up, Ira, because <laughs> it's always uh, you know I just you're one of my favorite people to hang out with and talk music with. Back at you. And so, uh, but I know I I know you you're you're going to teach songwriting tonight. Yeah, I've got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. I've got a class you know coming up, and uh, so I got to go through my stuff and pull out some exercises and various things. And they, some they're probably lyrics for me to read too, and to to go over and have something intelligent to say about. That's you just I yeah. you give. So goddamn much. I really <laughs> My heart is just drained. I really appreciate it. No, I mean I I'm someone I'm similarly motivated. I don't know what it is. We're both people who probably should spend more time 
doing their own thing. And we have both spent a lot of time making our own thing into a bigger thing. Maybe both of us, there's a sense of wanting a sense of home or to create mm -hmm. that, recreate that sense of a band or a, a camp like Am almost experienced something, that sense of a community, I guess, around what we do, because it can be a really lonely thing. Just being absolutely brilliant and writing, crying and writing songs <laughs> in your bed. <laughs> I will always be sharing your music with people. So this isn't the last time you're going to be on Radio 8 Ball. Um, that is great to know. And uh, and so it just I, I'm, I'm very happy to have shared you with our listeners. I'm really grateful to all the folks who you had in here. I can't wait to hear their music. And oh, you're going to gonna see. love it. You're going to love it because you know I'm picky. You are much pickier than me in terms of... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty horrible. It's No, it's good. It's because you, you apply those standards to yourself. It would be horrible if you didn't live by the same standards that you apply to other people but you have a really high standard for yourself as an artist and you you appreciate that in others do you know what i really hate and it's one of the things that still motivates let's me. please end the show on something you hate <laughs> <laughs> that is the few artists i meet who i really admire their work and they don't seem to return the favor it hurts it hurts because oh. then i start thinking i'm a hack i meet somebody really great and they just kind of oh him and uh so it motivates me because I want to leave them in the dust. I want to be hugely famous. So, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, you didn't seem to care for my work, did you? <laughs> well, do you have the, like, okay, because I, this is, this was actually going to be, this goes to what my, one of the questions I was thinking about when I came in here, which is, I always have this feeling of like, eventually when my thing gets successful enough, that person will come around. That I'll come I'll, around to liking it. Or yeah, come I'll turn them. For yeah, your I'll, no, just no, just it'll just turn them around to like to appreciating something. That well, they that's didn't part of the hollowness before. of success. You know, you always hear that. You know, I've, I've said, you know, yeah, one day I'm going to get one break, and suddenly all these people are going to claim they loved me all along. You know, which is what you get. You know, and uh, fuck them. <laughs> no, I'll take them. Believe me, I, I I've spent so much time fighting with people. And being fought with that if I could if if I could have enough success that it would bring peace to those situations oh, where they I would... agree. And that's how I plan to be too. So with that said, I guess we're just gonna wrap this up. Give me a moment to just say uh, I wanna thank the folks at Starburns Industries who continue to support this show, no matter how many or few people listen to it and how, how much our, our success is all in the future. Just it's great to be a part of what they're doing. And I encourage listeners to check out other Starburns audio podcasts. I want to thank all of the guests who came in and gave their time, whether they was in person or calling in for being on the show, especially our special guest, Erica Russell, all the way Woo! in from Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. I'm not going to tell you where she really lives so you don't go try and track her down <laughs> when you see how cute she is in the pictures. And I want to thank POTUS for hanging out. POTUS sure the little dog. No, we're talking about the dog and not 45. No, no, no. POTUS was POTUS long before he that was. guy was POTUS. He came into the world as an alternative to W. Oh, good for him. And again, we said it a lot, but thank you very much, Ira. It's been such a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure, and um, we will do it again. Yes, we will. And we should just do a show here together one of these days, too. I have a record coming out, and I will be back. At, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's something Fantastic. I recorded back in 2001, and it's coming out on my first thing on vinyl. And I will wow. be sending you a copy. I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure I will. I can't wait. I am looking forward to sharing it with you. And it would be great to share a bill with you. So with all that, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, 
I am your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. And that's a wrap. Woo!